This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. This is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hi, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto. Hey, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster, the Chief Medical Information Officer and an internal medicine physician for the Baptist system. We are so honored today to have Dr. Stephen Muting. Welcome, Dr. Muting. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where do you work at and what is your role? Well, sure. Uh, but before I tell you anything about me, I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's a real honor to be with all of you today. And uh, uh, in these days of virtual get-togethers, this is, feels a lot more natural than it used to. So uh, I am a pediatrician. I uh, have been for about 30 years. I started my career as a small-town pediatrician in Indiana for 13 years. One thing led to another through quality improvement, safety work. Right now, I'm the chief quality officer at Cincinnati Children's, and obviously in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I lead a, a department of about 250 people called the Anderson Center that's focused, obviously, on quality and safety at Cincinnati Children's, but beyond. And uh, so now I'm a long way from being a small town pediatrician, even though that's still in my heart. Right now I lead all and uh, all the quality work throughout our organization. Dr. Muthing, is it okay if I call you Steve? That'd be great. As long as I can call you HF. Absolutely. I wish you would. All right. Thank uh, you. Well, Steve, um, once again, thank you for being here. And sure. while I've, I've never visited Cincinnati Children's, um, the chief of pediatric surgery at Vanderbilt when I was training uh, had done his fellowship there. And so I was uh, Dr. Skip Neblett and, and Skip, that's the only other person that I know who's, whose name was Skip. And he was always bragging about Cincinnati children's. And I know you guys are, are doing great things there. And I was looking at your, at your profile on y'all's website and you actually went to med school in Cincinnati and did your pediatric residency there. Is that correct? I did. I uh, ran away for college, but then I uh, came back partly because I was in love with a Cincinnati girl and um, and it was just a great place to pursue my training. Um, so it's I haven't been there the whole time, but boy, the, the growth and development of Cincinnati Children's over those more than 30 years now has been immense. Uh, we were always a very good regional children's hospital, uh, always a pride of our city. But right now, um, we're actually the largest employer in our entire region. A children's hospital is. Uh, we're wow. the second biggest. We have over 16,000 people who work at Cincinnati Children's. Um, we're up to six to 700 beds, um, a huge research complex with just, I think, about 4,000 people just work there. And uh, interestingly, something's not typical for Cincinnati, Ohio. We have staff and employees from, uh, I think we're up to 97 or 98 countries work at Cincinnati Children's. So it's a complex organization um, and um, we're learning. We've got a lot, uh, we've improved a lot, but we have a long ways to go, HF. Wow, well that, that it's really neat that you got to come back to the place where you went to med school and you got to, yeah. uh, and, and you trained. And tell us a little bit about Cincinnati Children's evolution or, or growth into into continuous improvement into quality and and how how did you coming from I can kind of relate coming from a small town being a small town ah. pediatrician I, I'm I'm a small town general surgeon who is now at, at a big hospital uh, yeah. doing uh, as a chief medical officer tell me a little bit about your journey and how you transitioned into that into that role 
Well, my journey has um, been just along the path of Cincinnati Children's. So I'll tell you Cincinnati Children's journey and just know that I've developed along the way because I was recruited back to Cincinnati Children's around a little over 20 years ago to lead some clinical work, the outpatient uh, clinics, and then eventually hospital medicine. But what happened around the exact same time, fortuitous for me, is that Cincinnati Children's changed our vision and changed our mission. And that was when we adopted a vision to be the leader in improving child health. Prior to that time, again, we were focused on being a children's hospital for Cincinnati. And this concept of deciding we were going to be the leader in improving child health has changed everything we do. And that's what we live by and have forevermore. And that's what really kicked off our entire improvement journey. Uh, it was around the time that the quality chasm came out and to air as human. And it was so aligned with the way we were thinking. And what happened was we got involved in something called Pursuing Perfection, which was a Robert Wood Johnson grant. They ended up starting with about 500 hospitals that applied, came down to six. And their goal, interestingly, back then was what would happen if we could create Toyotas of healthcare? which we still have not done. But what it did is it opened the door up for us at Cincinnati Children's to be mentored and to rub elbows with the gurus and the national leaders in healthcare improvement. Uh, so along the way we've been, and personally I've been mentored by people like Don Berwick, uh, Tom Nolan, Lloyd Provost, who have all written the book, uh, literally. Uh, Paul O'Neill was one of my mentors uh, before he passed about a year ago. Wow. Uh, I have been so, and the whole organization has been so blessed. And I will, uh, it's been a great journey. Again, continuous improvement. I would say some of the highlights have been along the way we were counseled that what we needed to do was build capability amongst our leaders. And so although we started by being trained by Brent James out at Intermountain Healthcare, we sent about 25, 30 of us leaders, including about 10 physicians out for his um, month long program. We told him we were gonna steal all his concepts and make our own program and we did. And uh, so our leader development program improvement, we've trained hundreds of physicians, nurse leaders, administrator leaders. We're actually over 800 now out of our program. So we are now filled with physicians who are fairly skilled at quality improvement. We publish now over 80 uh, peer reviewed uh, quality improvement manuscripts every year coming out of Cincinnati Children's. When I started, it was zero. Uh, so it just has continued to blossom. Eventually we pursued as our primary goal safety, which many of us have done, but that opened up the whole idea that we started partnering with the military and started learning situation awareness and things like that and had the opportunity to be coached and developed by uh, people from outside healthcare. And that may shock some people, but I have to tell you the concepts of how much we learned about high reliability and safety from outside healthcare. Not that we just watched uh, an aircraft care, which I did, but it wasn't just say, do what they do. It was about, there's ideas there. But what our job was, we had to figure out what was relevant, whether it was applicable to healthcare, and then how it would be applicable, and then ultimately share that everywhere. And then uh, another breakthrough came about 10 years ago when uh, we had been partnering with Toyota, believe it or not. Uh, it actually started, they were helping us with a car seat program, trying to uh, increase the number of families that were using car seats uh, to decrease trauma. 
But what it eventually led to is they started coaching us on our improvement. They said, you guys are good, but you could do a lot better. Uh, and so over the last 10 years, we've had an ongoing relationship with Toyota. The reason that happened is uh, until about five years ago, their uh, North American headquarters was only about seven or eight miles from our campus. Uh, and actually, one of their biggest plants in the world is down in Georgetown, Kentucky, not too far from us. Um, I can remember one time we took our entire board of trustees down to uh, Toyota to to um, see what they were teaching. Um, that was that was a game changer for us. But uh, so along the way, we've been blessed. We've been mentored. But I would say the keys are we're relentlessly focusing on outcomes. We're never satisfied. We've learned to be transparent. In the old days, we would be very nervous about telling people where we were weak. Now it's very normal including in terms of safety. But then we've always reached out to partner with others, always knowing that uh, we can learn from um, so many people. Uh, and so you asked me about my journey and I described the journey of Cincinnati Children's, but along the way, uh, I slowly went from somebody who was focused on the here and now, trying to run a clinic today, to what quality improvement has allowed me to do is move from a small town pediatrician where I was trying to do the best job I could for that family in front of me, and then eventually a hospitalist, same concept. What quality improvement has allowed me to do is improve the system, the processes, the culture, so that I can start to have impact on 10, 100, and actually through some of the work we're doing nationally, thousands, and maybe even more than that. And it's, as a pediatrician who always, and so many of us, we just wanna make a difference. Uh, it's the quality improvement, which, at first I was like, what is this? Now I've realized it was the opportunity I've been waiting for to try and really have that impact at scale. So long answer to an easy or a short question there, HL. No, that's great, that's great. So a lot of what we've discussed on, on the program so far has centered largely around kind of continuous improvement, sure. focused mainly on the adult population. Sure. Um, as a pediatrician and working for a pediatric hospital, what are the unique challenges for doing this work in the pediatric population, if there are any? As an internist, to me, you know, kids are, are just uh, small adults. Is is that the case with <laughs> quality? Oh, so so much question. Yeah, well, you get your hand smacked if you said that at a children's hospital, but your question is very relevant. Um, and I haven't, you know, since med school, I haven't really spent a lot of time in the adult systems, although now I partner with adult systems all the time. So all I'm gonna give you is an answer that's the point of view of a pediatrician who's been at this for 20 years. I would say, honestly, uh, all things equal, uh, I think we've got some um, advantages in uh, pediatrics that we've been able to take advantage of. What we have uh, years ago, we realized as pediatricians, I mean, that if you weren't partnering with the family, you weren't getting anywhere. I mean, we're not veterinarians uh, and we have to work with the moms, the dads, the grandmothers, all that kind of thing. And so that we naturally uh, are comfortable with the idea of co-developing, co-managing, things like family advisory councils and things have been part of pediatrics forever. The one other thing is we, unlike the adult world are in this, for most of us are in this unique situation where our competition isn't down the street, it's in the next state uh, and things like that. So 
what has happened across pediatrics over the last 10, 15, 20 years is quality improvement has become more and more, uh, the capability has been everywhere. Pediatrics is uh, doing a lot of this quality improvement work together across institutions. Um, for instance, you know, if you look at US News and World Report, you would think Texas, Cincinnati, Boston, and Philadelphia are mortal enemies. And sometimes we are on things like, uh, you know, attracting patients from international things. But we believe it or not, we share so much of our quality improvement efforts together. We actually visit each other's campuses. We actually even believe it or not, exchange our data on things like safety and other things. Uh, so one of the things I've noticed in this quality improvement journey for healthcare is that we all started out by ourselves, whether it was individually as humans or at a uh, hospital level or a healthcare system level. As I watch more and more collaboration, learning together, which we've done more and more of this, uh, our work, you can see that the pace of improvement picks up. So I think that's one of the tricks that we've had in pediatrics. Now, besides that, Jake, getting down to your specifics, I would say one of the big disadvantages is um, we do not have the track record that adult care had in knowing clearly, for instance, in safety, the, uh, like for instance, the CLABSI bundle or the surgical site infection bundle or the CAUTI bundle and things like that. There was nothing like it for pediatrics. And so where we ended up having to go as a, as a uh, group of, you know, dozens and dozens of children's hospitals, we basically just stole what you guys were doing and then learned over time what part of it needed to be adapted. Uh, we knew it wasn't exactly right, but honestly, we just took what you guys had done, you know, at the whatever we have, 4,000 hospitals in the U.S., and you all were just way ahead of us, to be honest. So, You, you mentioned you mentioned CLABSies and CAUDIs and, and things that we focus on in the, in the adult population. Sure. We focus on you know, CHF mortality, CHF readmissions and, and whatnot. What are some of the quality indicators that you guys as pediatricians and as, as pediatric hospitals, what, what, what are y'all's main metrics that you guys are, are measured on? I, I'd be interested to hear that. Yeah. So the sa when you get into the safety world, HF, it's, it's not that dissimilar. Uh, we have different uh, exact definitions they're slightly different in peds how to apply those definitions but you'd you'd find pretty similarity in uh, uh, all the data that all the pediatric hospitals the children's hospitals share it would seem familiar beyond that it gets really different and you know i think it's somewhere along the lines of four or five conditions make up half of the work in an adult hospital to get to that same level half of the work in a children's hospitals you have to get up to like 50 or 75 conditions so we are uh, pediatrics as a whole is like a ton of rare conditions that come together. The other big difference is we don't have Medicare like you all do. Uh, we have Medicaid and the big difference is Medicaid is what 55 or 60 different Medicaid programs. So there's no national standards. Um, we're getting there, but we're not where you all are, but things that would be typical for us would be things. Neonatology is obviously a big thing. Those metrics have been worked out. Um, but I would say, you know, an area of pediatrics that is the biggest in terms of cost, the life and things is the kids that have probably in decades past may not have survived, 
but are now kids who are growing up with complex medical conditions, uh, technology dependent, whether it's a ventilator or a uh, G-tube or, you know, whatever it might be. And so that the comparable that is developing in pediatrics is we have to figure out a way to take care of these kids when they're not spending weeks, months, years in the hospital. And that, that opens up the whole thing where you all are pursuing in adult care of how do we figure out how to give people the care they need safely, effectively, but spending as little time as possible in our hospitals. So. Tell, tell us a little bit about the, the network that you, you guys have created between different hospitals and what were some of the barriers that, that you guys had to had to overcome? Yeah, so uh, within pediatrics, it's now very common. Everybody knows about it, but outside pediatrics, it's still, people are still just starting to learn about this. Over the last 11, a little over 11 years, uh, pediatrics, and, and actually I was lucky enough to be one of the people who helped start this, decided we were going to start working on safety together. It started with the uh, six and then eight children's hospitals in Ohio. But now it's up to, believe it or not, 150 children's hospitals across the U.S. and Canada. Um, and what we agreed eventually uh, in about year one, year two, is we all had the same goal. We were going to eliminate serious harm from every children's hospital. And when you take on a goal like that, nobody can do it by themselves. The only way you take a, uh, can accomplish a goal like that is everybody has to work on it together. So it wasn't about let's make my hospital better than your hospital or make my hospital the safest hospital is let's eliminate serious harm in the entire country and then eventually two countries. What we do now is we share all of our safety data with each other. Nobody mandates we do it. We just decided we were going to do it, both in terms of the outcomes like we were talking about, the hospital conditions. We also share data on our processes. So pretty quickly, we developed the largest data set there's ever been. And it gets bigger every month because we share data every single month with each other. And so we can now create evidence at the speed that uh, boggles people's mind. Things that used to take single site studies, multi-site studies, 10 years, 12 years to get the data. We can figure things out in 18 months that used to take years. And the other trick is it isn't somebody else figuring this out. It's us. And so hospitals are participating in the evidence development. And you want to talk about increasing um, adoption and will to adopt is that if I'm involved in creating the evidence, of course, I'm going to be more apt to do it. But it goes beyond even that. We now share best practices and failures at the CEO level. There's a group of all the children's hospital CEOs where they get together and they are amazingly honest with each other about mistakes that they've done, things that they've changed, how they're transparent, how they coach. And now we've also actually started bringing our boards of trustees together and they start coaching each other. So in what all this reveals is that once you get above the competition and uh, work your way through the barriers, the fact that everybody wants to get rid of serious harm, it's so clear. Uh, and that's where I mentioned Paul O'Neill. Most people may not know him, but he was the former Secretary of Treasury for the United States. He was also the CEO of Alcoa. But he, in his last 10 to 15 years life, was focused on employee safety and healthcare. He eventually pushed our CEOs to that to move beyond patient safety and start focusing on employee safety. So when I talk about sharing data, we now share data not just on patients, 
we share data on employee rates of harms and how employees are injured, which obviously we all know that's been a terrible year for that with all the COVID and, and everything. Um, but the journey, you know, especially with safety, it just never ends. We just got to keep working. So, uh, but it's an exciting time for pediatrics. And, you know, I, I, in the first five or six years, I would say we were all a little nervous that this thing was going to blow up or go away. I would say it has just changed the face of pediatrics because everybody can see the pace of improvement as it picked up. I don't think we'll ever go back to the old days when people kept their data to themselves. Uh, it just, it feels wrong now, which is so strange because for the first 10 to 20 years of my career, we barely talked about our safety data within our hospital, much less, I mean, the concept that I tell Boston children's how many collapses we had last week and tell them how they were happening. Oh my gosh, I think I would have been fired uh, 20 years ago. And now sure. just, we do it naturally. So. Yeah, so that point you just made about uh, talking about the data within your hospital, I think is really interesting. And I think I saw um, an interview where you said a lot of, or you had to tell a senior leadership team that they didn't really care about quality data or, or an executive team that they, you know, they paid lip service to quality data, but they didn't really care about it. Um, do you recall what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do, Jake, and you're, th you're this close. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm a, a risk taker. I'm not quite that much of a risk taker, but here's what it actually connects the story. I was just telling you. Um, when we were being mentored by these national leaders, we brought Paul O'Neill in to give a talk. And so I did some of this and brought in Paul O'Neill, and he's the one who actually sat there and listened, and then eventually hey, when you're the former secretary treasury, you know, you can say things like that. He said to our leaders, who he respected, he really did, or otherwise he wouldn't have spent time with us. He said, I really respect what you're doing. I, uh, you're one of the leaders, but I don't think you care about employee safety as much as you think you do. And here's, and then he pointed out a few things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the lessons I've learned over time um, that uh, if we all stay within our bubbles, we tend to think the same and we, and we promote each other thinking the same, which there's benefits that of forming a culture in the team and all that stuff. But I think we all as part of quality improvement, it's appropriate, necessary for us to uh, expose ourselves to others way of thinking. It doesn't mean they're right. It just, I think there's benefits to exposing ourselves. And, um, you know, so that kind of push, um, semi-polite push by Paul O'Neill uh, changed. So for instance, Today, if an employee is injured today, it will be talked about on our morning huddle tomorrow morning, and it, the name won't be mentioned, uh, you know, out of respect and privacy and things, but everybody on the organization will be able to hear about anybody who's injured today, and same with any patient who's injured today. Uh, again, the concept, when we started our safety journey, we were lucky to know how many people have been injured three months ago. Where we got to now is where we expect everybody to know immediately and then share the information within 24 hours as widely as we can, respectfully, um, you know, uh, paying attention to HIPAA and, and uh, em employees' privacy and things. So, Steve, I've got a question. Uh, you, you, I've heard you talk before and you talked today about uh, this national network. Uh, have, have you learned or gleaned anything from that? that you've been able to bring back specifically to Children's Hospital of Cincinnati where you've able, been able to make your internal operations better because of things that you've gleaned from that national work? Yeah, so 
the honest answer is so many things I could we could talk about this for hours, but I think better is to offer a couple examples with one within safety and then one I want to draw back on the Toyota work within the safety work. I, I would say, honestly, at the beginning, there was a, a more tilt towards Cincinnati children's giving. Than receiving, but once we got that evidence going and the in the push and like, for instance, we send out data every month to everybody that says, here's how your hospital is doing. Here's how the network's doing. Boy, does that help us, even though I'm sure we're doing well on most things, but our board pays attention to that data and they, it results in tough questions that, you know, you don't want to get those tough questions, but yes, you do, because it leads to better improvement. So that it does become a virtuous cycle of learning once you got to work your way through those first couple few years of getting it built. But then on the Toyota work, I would say, um, here's what's happened. We've actually um, been able to, and I think Skip, this is where we've crossed paths at times, is, is be able to share about some of our lean work and about our culture change push, uh, trying to build leadership skills and capability and things like that. And when you connect with people like Toyota, or, or even one of the reasons I wanted to do this is now we're connected and, and I look forward to learning uh, back and forth. And, and I think I remember one of the things Toyota, some of their leaders told us in those first couple of years is uh, they said, if you're in any way, shape or form, think you're learning from us because we've got it down pat, uh, you're wrong. And they will humbly say, we've been at this almost 75 years and we think we're starting to get kind of good at it. Uh, and that's just so um, motivating to hear that. Um, you know, it doesn't make me want to sit back on my haunches and just say, well, good, I can just wait 70 years or something like that. But it does tell me this is life journey work and we just got to be at it forever. So that's to me the benefits of being connected nationally, Skip, is uh, I think like any good neighbor, you should give. But then I think once you start giving, people are willing to give back. And it, it just, again, that virtuous cycle. So. Well, I, well, another question building off that is what has been your experience uh, with getting other physicians involved and in looking at this higher purpose? I mean, obviously, you're very passionate. What about other physicians? What has been your experience of getting other physicians within Cincinnati Children's involved in, in this improvement work? Yeah. It, it shocks people, but uh, the way things look nowadays, but I will tell you in those first five, seven years, uh, it was lonely work. I think anybody who's a physician starting this work feels like a um, an outlier, uh, maybe even an outcast at times, uh, but we're an acad strong academic institution. I will tell you, things started to change when we started publishing more and more. And then eventually we started getting grants to uh, promote research. And then we built that training program uh, and one of the breakthroughs was when our CEO and our chair uh, were one of the first students in our improvement training program. That sent some signals out there pretty clearly of, we never required anybody to take the training, but when your CEO, your boss's boss's boss is taking the training program, it starts to send signals of, what am I doing sitting over here on my, uh, you know, just saying, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And so nowadays, the way it looks, Skip, is, you know, I mentioned those hundreds of, um, physicians who have been trained, uh, I would say the trick that was so beneficial, of course, teaching skills in um, quality improvement, particularly around the, how to use the data effectively, because we as physicians, we all know we love our data and, you know, uh, we don't mind running tests, but we want to know 
the efficacy and we want to know, uh, we want to see, uh, is it making the difference? But then when they can start seeing how this isn't just about making uh, shorter delays in the, uh, in the waiting room or saving money on uh, supplies, you can start to apply this to improving uh, remission rates in uh, inflammatory bowel disease, or you can uh, decrease rates of acute kidney injury for kids uh, getting exposed to nephrotoxic drugs. And just as a couple examples, all of which has literally happened um, and connecting it to that learning network and national level. By applying QI, starting at a couple institutions, including Cincinnati Children's, building a learning network focused on inflammatory bowel disease, the national rate of remission for kids and young adults with inflammatory bowel disease went from about 58% were in remission about eight to 10 years ago. It's now up over 80% of the kids are in remission. And almost from no new drugs, all from working together, doing learning quality improvement, sharing those uh, data, sharing the best practices. So simply being able to everybody understand who's doing better than me, what are they doing that's different than me? And then everybody moving in that direction. Uh, it's been some of the biggest improvements ever in uh, management of inflammatory bowel disease nationally in pediatrics. And it came less from new breakthrough drugs or uh, surgical treatments, uh, HF. It came from learning quality improvement and then doing it at scale. So I, I never would have believed it would be able to go to this scale. I thought it was just about making processes better and you know making the hospital maybe um, more efficient which is all good but you know when you physicians can start to see how this actually improves outcomes and not just for one patient or a dozen patients but potentially for hundreds and thousands of patients physicians over and over again since Cincinnati children's can't stop themselves they just they think this is exactly what I should have learned in med school and hopefully someday we will so. mm. Well, wow, wow, Dr. Muting. If I could take your energy and bottle it up <laughs> and kind of, uh, you know, give it out as a uh, as a vaccine to many physicians and, and leaders throughout healthcare, I would do it. I just so appreciate your passion, uh, your drive, your energy. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming and spending some time today with us on on Connecting the Dots podcast. Well, thank you very much, and you're very kind. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, HF. Thank you, Jake. Thank you.